Good evening. When Justin asked me to speak with him, I looked at him and said, uh, that's Father's Day. And I said, uh, what are we going to be speaking on? He said, well, I don't like speaking on things because uh, the world is celebrating that day. So today, it will be very, at least my message will be very similar to what David spoke on this morning. And uh, I want to be looking at the, the Old Testament priests. And uh, later on today, in the will of the Lord, Justin will come up and we'll be speaking on our duties as New Testament priests. And so uh, before we do, let's just uh, open prayer real quick. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for allowing us to come together, Father, to open your precious word, Father. And uh, we know, Father, that uh, we come before you today in all humility, Father, knowing that uh, only you can lead this study tonight, Father, and we just ask, Lord, that as me and Justin stand up here today, Father, that uh, it will not be us speaking, but, Father, it will be your, your spirit speaking through us, Father. We just ask that you will open up our hearts, first, me and Justin's heart, Father, that this message, Father, may uh, be clear in our lives, Father, that we may all be convicted, Father. We just ask, Lord, that you'll bless this time that we have together and that um, we will be more like your son, Father. We just ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to look at the Old Testament priests, and first I would like to look at what the priests were, were to wear, what the priests were to wear and why they were to wear them. And then I want to look at how the priests, mainly, mainly Aaron, was to approach the Lord as he entered into the most holy place. And um, it was interesting when I told my dad what I was going to be speaking on, he looked at me and said, well, I uh, hope you found a way to present this message um, in an enjoyable way, because uh, I'm going to be honest, before these past few weeks, I, I never did a study on the Levites, because I, I found that doing it during a study on this, or the tabernacle, where there are symbols all over the place, it was like reading the book of Numbers to me, where, you know, you're thinking, do I really need to know what this is for? Do I really need to know who was there, how many people were there? So, hopefully we'll be able to do that tonight. But before, let's all turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. This isn't really one, going to be one of my main points. This is a point that I'd like to build on throughout the whole message. But Exodus chapter 19, this is shortly after the children of Israel exited um, Egypt and uh, they find themselves at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3 says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall, shall speak to the children of Israel. And so the main point here is that... Thank you. is that um, the Lord's original desire from the children of Israel was that he wanted the whole nation to be priests to him. And as me and Justin met, we were thinking about that, and we were really marveling at the fact that not only would the Lord desire to be worshipped by his people, but that he would desire to, that he would desire his whole people, and he would desire to be in fellowship with them. And so... If you read in Exodus 32, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but that is when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and the Lord is writing down the law on the stone tablets. And uh, we see that 
the children of Israel fear that Moses had died, and so they decide to make up this god for themselves. They decide to create this, this gold calf, and they start worshiping that, and the Lord tells Moses to go down. Moses goes down. He completely destroys the gold calf, and he goes to the gate of the city, or the, the, the camp, and he says, if you're still for the Lord, you come over here. And uh, we read that only the Levites stepped forward, and that's why the Lord chose the, the tribe of Levi to be the priest for him. And we see the tremendous blessing that the rest of the tribes missed out on because they did not take a step forward for Christ. And um, once again, for the sake of time, we won't turn there, but in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20 says, uh, the Lord speaking to Aaron and the Levites, he says, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And so we see th throughout all, throughout this time, that the children of Israel are on their way to the promised land and they're looking forward to the time where they will enter into this prosperous land, the land flowing with milk and honey, but the Lord says, you don't, you don't, you don't get any, any of that. Why? Because he wanted to give them something better. He wanted to give them himself. And just, just thinking about what David said this morning, we were designed to worship. The Lord desires to be worshiped by his people and yet he de designs us to worship. He doesn't force us to worship himself, but um, we, we, we get to decide what we worship. But we were designed to worship, and the Lord desired the whole tribe of Israel, the whole, uh, sorry, seed of Israel, to be priests to him. Um, but this time, let's just look at what the priests were to wear. And really, we won't really read anything concerning what they were wearing. I'll just tell you. If you were to do a study on this for yourself, you could look at Exodus 28 or Exodus 39. Uh, the main thing you just need to know is that the priests were to wear two different kinds of clothing. One clothing was pretty much their everyday clothing that they were to wear. And then as they, they started to offer up these sacrifices to the Lord, that's when the holy garments came in. And those holy garments were all made of linen. They had the linen tunic, the linen trousers, the linen sash, and the linen turban. And if you want to do a study on those uh, those four um, parts of clothing you could, and I'm sure there's a beautiful picture in that. And the linen turban um, was to always be worn, it was to be worn across the face. And across the face there was a cord written, um, and the words on the cord said, Holiness to the Lord. And that was to be a reminder to the children of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, to the uh, priests at the time, um, that only holy people were to stand before the Lord. And so that's just a beautiful picture to us. Um, but let's look at, um, actually, we won't look at that verse, but also in Exodus chapter 28, in verse 31 through 35, um, we see that Aaron was to wear bells also. And we know that those bells are to be worn because if the Lord were to uh, not accept him or the offering that he was um, offering up to the Lord, then he would be struck down and, and the bells were to be to show them um, that he was struck down. And so you might be thinking, well, why is this important to me? The main thing we really just need to understand is that the priests were to wear these things because they were to be, accept they were to be recognized by the rest of the tribes as priests. Uh, Justin pointed out to me by looking at their clothing alone, you could tell those men were priests. And so they were to be physically set apart for the Lord, even um, set apart in the, the um, camp of Israel. Um, and then most importantly, they were to wear these things because they were to enter into the, um, the presence of the most holy God. Uh, um, all right, so let's look at Leviticus chapter 16. This will be our main portion that we'll be reading. 
Um, I just want to look at how Aaron was to approach the Lord. The, um, the Day of Atonement, that's, which is what we'll be reading, was um, the only day of the, the year that the high priest was allowed to enter into the most holy place. Um, and so the, the priest had to enter into the presence of the Lord knowing that not only was the Lord very specific about what they were to wear, what they were to do, when they were to do it, but also their, their heart was to be in it. And I was talking to Jeff Stratton about this, and you can only imagine so many people lining up to offer up sacrifices to the Lord, but only a handful of people could really offer, physically offer up those sacrifices to the Lord. And our human thought would be to maybe speed up the process, because there are a lot of people waiting in line, perhaps, and so you might want to offer it up a little more quickly, right? But their heart was to be um, in it, and if, if their heart was out of place, we'll see um, with a couple priests later on that they could be struck down. And so there was a lot of fear of the Lord that was involved in this, um, in their duties as well. So let's just look at Leviticus chapter 16. We'll be reading this, and I'll be having a very little comments on this. We just want to look at the order in which they are to do these things, uh, but uh, the Day of Atonement, looking at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the clouds above the mercy seat. And so for those of you that don't know, two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, um, went into the presence of the Lord and offered up a sacrifice independently. They weren't, de they weren't commanded by the Lord to offer up this sacrifice. And uh, all the word tells us is that it was profane fire. And the Lord didn't accept it, and instantly the fire of the Lord came down and consumed them. And so if, if, if you do decide to do a study on the priests, like I didn't decide to do until I was asked to speak on this, um, you could look at the phrase, lest he die. And you, sh and you could look at wh what the Lord warns them of because there, there are so many you could read in the laws and in the offerings and everything. They were to do things a certain way because if they didn't, the Lord wouldn't accept their sacrifice and perhaps kill them. But let's continue reading. It says, verse 3 says, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as of a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body he shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. And so the point here being is that Aaron could only enter into the holy place through the blood of the bull. And we obviously know that that's a picture of how we are only allowed to enter into the holy place today through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then also, I found it interesting that Aaron had to take a bath before entering in. He had to take a bath and wash his body physically, and then he had to get dressed into his holy garments and then to uh, offer up the sacrifice. Um, and the verse 6 says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. 
but the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be, presented, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. And so you might have caught by reading that, that Aaron had to offer up a bull offering for himself. He could not enter into the presence of the Lord unless his sin was taken care of. And then, and then through that, um, through offering the, the, the offering for himself, he was then allowed to offer up um, sacrifices for, for others. Um, and then verse 12 says, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and his hands full of, I'm sorry, and, and bring it inside the veil. Then he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is, that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Um, let's continue reading. And then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring his blood inside the veil, inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the blood of the bull, I'm sorry, on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do with the tabernacle of meeting, which remains along them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so Aaron, as he went in, not only did he have to wear these special garments, not only did he have to take a bath, not only did he have to offer up an offering for himself, but he had to cleanse the temple, and that's what he was doing at this time, because bringing in the offering would actually defile the temple in the sense that he was bringing sin into the, offering, into the tabernacle. And um, let's continue reading in verse 17. There should be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And that goat is obviously a picture of the Lord Jesus and how this goat really uh, did nothing wrong. This goat was a uh, spotless goat, and yet on him was all of this sin placed. And they wouldn't even kill this goat. They let this poor goat go and let him live his, the rest of his life with all of this sin on his shoulders. And so that's a picture of our Lord Jesus and how he left that glories of heaven, leaving everything behind um, to bear our sin and to live each and every day um, with it on its shoulders. Um, verse 23 says, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting and shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering 
and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who releases a goat as a scapegoat shall, be, shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And so we see that the Lord is very specific on how Aaron wants things to be done. Even though he already took a bath, this is something I hate doing, I think it's a waste of water, but he, he was to take a bath before going into the presence of the Lord, get dressed, offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and then take a bath again. I think I've only taken a shower twice in one day, probably three times in my whole life, because I'm very conservative, you could say. Uh, <laughs> but the Lord is very specific about how he wanted things to be done. And, and we see the picture of, of how sin was to be taken care of, and if it was taken care of in a different way, perhaps that sin wasn't taken care of, or perhaps that priest would die. And uh, something that really spoke to me was that Aaron was only allowed to enter into the presence of the Lord once a year, and yet we have the privilege of going through into the presence of the most holy God any day of the week. It's just something that I don't think I think about enough. Um, but we see with Nadab and Abihu and how they were very careless about the word of the Lord and they just went in and, and tried to offer up an offering to the Lord. He was very, um, he just didn't accept the offering and, and he struck them dead because of their carelessness. Um, and so at this time, I, I don't want to make too much of a stretch, but I want to try and apply all of what we read to our lives and how we should approach the Lord in our worship today. Um, Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is um, a very well-known passage, something many people um, refer to. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're talking about how we should approach the Lord in, in, when we worship. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks, drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And so we're told, we're told countless times in the New Testament how, how serious our sin is. And, and we think of the verse in, in uh, Romans 5, I believe it is, or, or Romans 6, when he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, and I think this is something that many people, many Christians today, they will accept Christ and they'll continue to live in sin. One, because they don't care, and two, because they, their sin's already paid for, and, they, and they, um, they don't take their sin seriously. And so we're told to examine ourselves. And this word examine is actually means to search, to, 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 to search our sin, or to, I'm sorry, to search our life um, for sin, because if, if we come into the presence of the Lord with sin in our life, and, and we, we partake of the 
the bread and the wine, which is picture of us of Christ paying for our sins, then uh, we see that the Lord judges us for it. And um, it just breaks my heart to see how people come before the Lord each and every day without taking their sins seriously and without um, really thinking about the price that was paid. And so our thought would be, if, if we don't examine ourselves um, before the Lord, will our worship be accepted? And so our knee-jerk reaction be too well. Um, maybe, right? Uh, let's turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The temple of the Lord is, I'm sorry, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would, who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasures in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in, in that you say the table of the Lord is, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering, should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so we see that these priests were very defiled at this time. They... They would offer up sacrifices to the Lord, but they would offer up the blemished ones because in their eyes, to give, a, to give the Lord a perfectly fine, beautiful offering would be a waste. And, and in a way, they were doing the bare minimum to um, make it look as if they were doing the work of the Lord. And yet, the, their heart wasn't in it. And in a way, they were going through the motions. And to me, that spoke of how Growing up in a Christian home, many times it was um, tomorrow, Sunday, we're going to church. And I remember waking up every Sunday morning thinking, oh, here we go again. You know, we're going to church. And I remember asking um, a young man if he was going to be at our Bible study the following night. And he said, well, um, if I don't, then I'm going to hear a lot of garbage from it from all the guys. And so we, we see in our lives that oftentimes we do things to please not the Lord, but, but each other. And to me, that really spoke of how we really don't offer up the best to the Lord. And, and he continually asks the, qu the question in this passage, 
should I accept this sacrifice? And, and in fact, he says, go offer it to the governor and see what he thinks. You know, if it's so important to you to please this person, go give it to him and see if he would accept it. You know, um, and, and the question we should continually ask ourselves is, is the Lord really accepting our worship? This is something that, um, you know, Justin really brought clear to me is that oftentimes in our eyes we think all worship is accepted by the Lord, but oftentimes the Lord doesn't accept our worship. And what a fearful thought that is to think we gather every Sunday saying the Lord is in our presence, but we need to ask ourselves, is he really? Is he really in our presence? And I remember uh, talking to my grandpa and he said, um, we were talking about the breaking of bread, and he was saying, um, in our eyes, we might look at an individual who is very faithful in coming to the breaking of bread. He, he'll stand up and, and say a prayer, and that's a good prayer. He'll, he'll get up, he'll give out that hymn, and man, everyone loves that hymn. But what is that young man doing throughout the rest of the week? Um, is, is he out in the world, you know, uh, is he thinking about the ball game, you know, Saturday night before the Lord's Supper. Um, and so we really need to ask ourselves, are we worshiping the Lord just on Sundays? Uh, I've heard of a song, I've never sang it, and um, I've never heard it be sung, but it says, on Sunday, I really want revival, as David spoke of this morning. We, we desire revival in the church, but on Monday, I can't find my Bible. And so it's just something we need to think about. What are we doing throughout the rest of the week? Are, 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 we, are we in the world or are we in the word? And um, just something that spoke to me. And I remember when we were going through uh, the book of Mark on, in our Bible study, um, the Lord made it so that we were going through when the Lord Jesus was being crucified and, he, and, and he, he's going through all these things right around the time of Easter. And I remember that made that time very special for us. Um, and, and Justin would present these I'm sorry, uh, David would present these questions to us. And the rest of the week, we were just thinking about those questions. You know, why, why was the Lord doing this? What was he thinking when he was going through this? And, and it was going through the time of Easter. And I remember thinking, this is really worship. This is what worship feels like. Our, our minds were constantly on Christ and what he was enduring for us. And so is our worship really being accepted by the Lord? And um, just another thought, um, that just as the Lord desired the whole nation of Israel to be priests for him, um, but, but, they, but, they, but they messed that up. The Lord desires to be worshipped by us. Um, and, and if we are failing him as priests, then really we are failing him at the whole, the whole reason why he placed us here. He placed us here to worship, to worship him. And, and yet we say we're believers. We should be worshiping him. And yet if, if we're failing him as priests, then we're failing him at the whole purpose of why we should be here. Um, and as David spoke this morning of how um, King Hezekiah, I believe it was, um, he, cleansed, he cleansed the temple. And perhaps our hearts and our lives need to be cleansed as well. We, we heard of tearing down the idols. We heard of... We heard of taking a stand for Christ. We need to cleanse our hearts, perhaps. Is our worship really being accepted? And the next thing is how we should approach the Lord in prayer. And 
Um, prayer, I think, is something that people don't think a lot of when they are praying. They, they don't think, I'm really in the presence of the Lord right now. And um, I remember, if, if you look at the, the Lord's Prayer mentioned to us, um, the Lord Jesus says, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so we see that, in a way, he's confessing um, sin to the Lord. And so I remember when I went up to the, um, the uh, men's conference at, at camp, um, a brother stood up at a prayer meeting we were having and he said, Lord, I can't come into your holy presence without first confessing some of my sin. And he was saying, Lord, I'm a, I'm a prideful man at times. I do this, when I, maybe I should be doing this for you. I'm such a sinful man and I'm failing you. And, and, and I think we come before the Lord without realizing who we really are coming before. When we think of uh, Nadab and Abihu, they did the same thing. They were careless, they were thoughtless. And, and they, they, they were, the Lord killed them because of it. And so let's look at First Peter, First Peter chapter 3. It's one of the last verses we'll be reading. First Peter chapter 3. And let's see, verse... Verse 7, it says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And this is a phrase that your prayers may not be hindered. And, I, and I've heard this only, that phrase that your prayers may not be hindered applied only to husbands so many times. And I've heard um, wives even say to their husbands, if you don't start treating me better, the Lord's not going to hear you talk to him. You know? Um, <clears throat> and so... When you, when you look at it, and I looked at some commentators, all these three um, portions, we see that the Lord uh, addresses uh, servants and how they're to be submissive to their masters before, and then um, how wives would be submissive to their husbands, and then we see that the word um, that the Lord gives to the husbands, that your prayers may not be hindered. All three of them are joined by one word, likewise. So he talks to the masters, and if you look at... Um, Chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. And so some commentators would agree that that phrase, lest your prayers be hindered, um, only applies to husbands. Some, some believe that that um, applies to all. And I lean more towards the fact that it, it, it is very possible that it applies to all. And so really we need to think about that. And I, I just don't think we take our sins seriously in our life. You know, the fact that our sin could hinder our worship to the Lord. Our sin could hinder our prayers to the Lord. And I think that's one of the most scary thoughts for a believer. To cry out, to cry out to the Lord in the time of your need. Lord, help me. And he, and he doesn't hear you because of the prayer in your life. And really quickly, Second Chronicles chapter 7. This is something uh, David looked at this morning. Didn't realize how late it was. Second Chronicles chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 14 says, If my people who, and this is what David read this morning also, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
And this is the, really the verse I want to look at. And it says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. And so we see that because of the sin that, these cho- that the children of Israel were in, the Lord wasn't hearing their prayers this whole time. And so we just really need to think about the fact that our sin, and perhaps our heart, could really affect our worship to the Lord, and um, our sin could affect our prayers to the Lord. And with that, I will give it to Justin. Sorry for taking so much time. But... Well, I asked Nick to speak with me, and I asked him if he wanted to take the whole message after he told me everything he was going to be talking about. And it was, it was this big. And I said, um, you know, go ahead, and, go ahead and take the whole thing. No, no, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll be able to, to get it done. So he kind of psyched me out. And then I asked him when he got here, you know, after we've been meeting and praying together, and how much time do you think you're going to need? Oh, you know, 15, 20 minutes tops. You know, after that, then I'll, I'll turn it over. So, but it was, it was great to hear, and he went through a lot of the points I was going to go through in, in Malachi and, and such. And just the, the point that we kept coming across and uh, getting together was the idea that not all worship is accepted. And we often tie that to um, other, other beliefs and the fact that they, you know, they have this uh, almost like a mantra where as long as you worship sincerely, then God accepts these things. And what we see from the Word of God is that's not true. But not only in that sense, but also when you worship even according to God's, God's word, if your heart is not in the right place, that your worship is not accepted. And God, first and foremost, is concerned with your heart. And I've, I've heard this many times from a, from a brother who's, who's taken me under his wing, that uh, the number one thing Christ is concerned with is your character. Um, and if your character is not true and your spirit is not true, that you are coming before the creator of the universe, and you are not sincere, he will not accept it. And may we turn our hearts and and look towards the fact that what is it that is keeping us from being sincere? There are many things when we talk to people, even we feel that we're not being sincere or we're not being genuine. And we also know how refreshing it is to talk to somebody that is so genuine, that is so sincere, and how it's just when they leave, you have this feeling like, the person is just so genuine. I, I, I believe what they're telling me, and I can tell they really mean what they say. And it, it warms our heart. And how wonderful it is for the father to hear such wonderful things about his son from someone who is absolutely sincere, knowing that you are talking. We, when we come before the Lord on the Lord's day, and we see the emblems on the table, and as we speak to the father and, and give praises to the son, I mean, we are remembering that Christ came and died for us because his father sent him and because he loved us and he was willing to come. And when you really think about it and take it to heart that he, he, he came and died upon the cross so that we could be in fellowship with him and his father in heaven in the same spirit, how can you not have a sincere heart and be thankful? How, how can you come before him? And, and the only way you can is if you're not thinking about it and you're thinking about other things and the world keeps you distracted. Um, there's just a few points I'm going to make and it's going to be real quick in First Peter chapter 2. And it's the idea of laying aside, we've heard it, laying aside the weight, laying aside the sin, 
um, the urge we have to give in to our own desires, give in to what we want to do. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do that. This person makes me feel this way. I don't want to see this person when I'm there. There's so many things that come up and when you really, really think about it and put it before the Lord and come honestly, um, there really is no excuse. Uh, so First uh, Peter chapter 2 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocr hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as live lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And this is the idea here, the, the idea that we are to be a holy priesthood. We are to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. It doesn't say just offer up spiritual sacrifices. It's got to be acceptable. It doesn't say just come and do what you think sounds good. Those words sound nice. Or I like that hymn. Or this is what I was studying this week, so I'm going to present it at the breaking of bread. It's something that has to be acceptable, something that the Spirit has to lead you in. This is, we're looking to things that are offered up by Christ himself. Um, and we are to be a holy priesthood, and we offer up our own bodies. We offer up ourselves. Uh, this is one aspect of the priesthood we are supposed to live out and that we are supposed to portray um, before the Lord. In verse 6, it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So we see that for some people, this same stone for us, that's the, the, the cornerstone that we stand upon, is a stumbling block for those that do not follow the word. Verse 9 is the one most often uh, quoted. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are to remember the mercy that we have obtained, and we are to be a royal priesthood. So before we are a holy priesthood, ministering unto God the Father, and now we are a royal priesthood, um, showing forth the praises to the world. We are to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness. And that's what we, we do when we preach the gospel. That's what we do when we live out our lives in the world. Um, we are not of this world, but we are in the world. Uh, we are to go and we are to be true to God in all things, not just when we're here gathered amongst one another. Um, to be honest, the, the, the biggest thing I face is, I think we, we face is that the fact that, um, believe it or not, maybe we're not together enough. Uh, that's something that would probably shock Kathy, my wife. She says, you seem like you have something every night. Um, but in the same sense, it's almost as if we're not together enough. We're not in and out of each other's lives enough to, to build one another up because this is not easy. This is not something that we just wake up and have a desire to do. Um, 
if we did, uh, God's message to us would be a lot different than what he's given us. And the dealings with the children of Israel would have been a lot different than what we read. But our nature as a people is to constantly need reminding, to constantly need encouraging, and to constantly build one another up. Um, You know, he gives us the picture of a spiritual house. And when we're building a house, we have a set of plans. And uh, not everybody can read a set of plans. I have a hard time with certain plans that come across and you know, this is the grading, this is the electrical, this is the framing, this is, and it, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, well, just do what the plan says because I don't really know what all the rest is all about. So we got to stick to what these plans say. God has a set of plans, and he knows what everything's going to look like in the end, and he knows where we're going. Um, we have to do our job and be faithful in the little things, be faithful to come and to make sure that our lives are clean, that we are to be Um, above reproach and if we are not then we are to say that we're not and we are to be honest all God asks is for sincerity he asks for the truth and he asks for honesty it's what we had to do when we first got saved when we trusted Christ we had to come to him and say we need you I, I know I need you because from your word and from the truth of what you've shown me I know I can't do it on my own but I know you've made a way, and I know Christ is the way. So I need Christ. And that's the need we have. We don't know everything else about it. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen after, but we know what we need at that time, and we come honestly. And so we need to continue to come to God in that way. What would you have me to do? Rick presented a message last week, and it was that uh, Paul's question, Lord, what, what would you have me to do? Um, when was the last time you asked that question? Rick, you made me ask that question last, last week. What, what, what would you have me to do? Um, it's a beautiful thing to think that we can actually be used of God. Um, when we were lost and we were sinners, there was not one thing we could do to glorify him in our own, in our own works. Not one thing. Could do nothing good. And now we have this amazing liberty to go out and serve the creator of the universe each and every day in everything that we do. And how often do we put it aside and not think about it and then all of a sudden it's Saturday night and breaking of bread is in the morning and you're scouring the hymn book and the you know reading your reading the bible and praying and trying to come up with a good good thing to say on Sunday and it's just a reminder that it sh- it shouldn't be something that is just out of nowhere it should be something that we do steadfastly It should be something with a pace. And hopefully that pace looks like horses flying by other people, (laughs) even though we're just going at a steady pace. Um, Some of the other things that Peter is going through to tell us what we should do in order to live this way. Um, It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with the well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
This is the main verse that, I, that stands out to me, this verse 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Uh, we're not to use the liberty that we have in Christ to be malicious. We have this liberty that we didn't have before to serve Christ and to honor him. Um, we were able to blaspheme his name before we were saved. But now that we have been saved, now that we have trusted him, we have this liberty to serve him. And may we take that in all seriousness of heart and fulfill our duties as a holy priesthood and as a royal priesthood. Uh, the main message that we wanted to get across, Nick and I, was to um, remind ourselves that as we present things in, in our daily life, in our daily walk, not everything we do is accepted by God. And a constant thing that's been coming up in, in almost every meeting and in every Bible study is where is the fear gone? Where is the fear of God? What is that? You know, when was the last time you trembled, you were afraid that what you were doing was not pleasing to God? And I think that's something that should be coming up more and more in our daily life. And I know when, uh, when we were preparing this message and certain things would happen during the week, and you, you catch yourself, and you're reminded, but it also causes you to be joyful, knowing that with all your faults, Christ paid it all, that Jesus has covered you, and then he holds you with his Father in his hands, and nothing can separate you. But we have a duty to be pleasing in his eyes. And what was the last time when we sought his face, what expression was on his face? Was he pleased? Was he excited when we take the time to think that we can come into the presence of the creator of the universe anytime we want because of the blood of Christ we we need to remember that he's there waiting for us to come he's there waiting to have fellowship he's there waiting for us to come before him and that's what he desires his heart's desire is that we would come to him and give him the worship that he deserves and we can only come by his son and to hear wonderful things about his son. And we are to glorify his name. And it is a wonderful thing and a wonderful calling which we have been called by. Um, and that's the main thing we wanted to get across tonight. Sorry we went over, but we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word that you've given to us. We are thankful that it is truth. Father, and we are thankful for your spirit that indwells us, that allows us to rightly divide it. Father, we pray for uh, revival in our hearts. We pray that we may be aware of the sin in our lives and our character. Father, we pray that our heart and our conscience and our mind would be aligned with that of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would walk in a way as he walked. Father, that we would constantly seek your face and that we would be pleasing in your eyes. Father, our greatest desire is that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. So, Father, may we live our life with that intent, that in all things we do, we do to your glory. Father, that the name of Christ would be on our lips, that his truth would be in our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.